As followers of Christ, we have the privilege of proclaiming the greatest news in the entire world, that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sinners and then to rise from the dead, conquering sin and death. However, if we're honest, proclaiming this good news isn't always easy. Our sins, weaknesses, and fears often get in the way. Gratefully, God has not left us alone in this task of sharing the gospel and making disciples. In this message from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, David Platt reminds us that Christ has given us His own spirit, not only to comfort us, but also to empower our witness in the world. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, You Are Not Alone. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1 and read the first eight verses, and we're really going to camp out on verse 8 especially. And I want you to see the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And in your RBS, you've been looking at what spiritual authorities exist. And just like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against the flesh of this world, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the authorities of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Holy Spirit is given to us for the spiritual battle we're involved in every day. Let's look at what he does. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? First of all, if you're taking notes, I want you to see the Holy Spirit fills us with power. The Holy Spirit fills us with power. From the very beginning of this this text and this book, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you are going to be witnesses. Three times in this verse, verse 8, Jesus emphasized the Holy Spirit is going to be on you. Now it's important for us to understand the context here. Now who, who wrote the book of Acts? All right, this is the audience participation part of our program. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Very good. Luke also wrote the book of? Luke. Very good. In the first book that he wrote, the book of Luke, we see Luke showing us the life of Jesus. And throughout Jesus' life, we see that the Holy Spirit was on him, leading him and guiding him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go on people's lives. But when we get to Luke... We see chapter 4, verse 1, verse 14, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit was on Jesus and leading Jesus. Everything he did was led by the Holy Spirit. And so we get to Acts chapter 1. Jesus is about to go off the scene, ascend into heaven, and he says, now the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have his power, and he's going to lead your life. It's almost like a relay race, passing the baton. And Jesus is passing the baton to his disciples and said, the Holy Spirit that has been on me is going to be on you and you are going to need him. In fact, hold your place here and turn me back to the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24. I want you to see what Jesus says at the end of the book of Luke, kind of Luke's version of the Great Commission, before he ascends into heaven. 
Look with me at Luke chapter 24, and we'll read in verse 45, and the verses that follow there. I want you to hear. Now, these are the words, the last words Jesus is speaking to his disciples, so we know they're really important. Look at verse 45 in Luke 24. It says, He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what, what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, listen to this, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Did you catch what Jesus just did? He said, all right, guys, here's the message. Christ suffered, died, rose on the third day. There's the message you've got. Here's what you're going to do do with it. You're going to go out and preach it in all nations. You're going to proclaim this message. And he says, but before you even think about going to do that, don't miss the means by which this message is going to go out. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. In other words, Jesus is telling these guys, don't even think about trying to do this on your own. And that's the whole point of showing and sharing the gospel in our lives. And what I want to say to you, encourage you with this morning, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like this is not your thing and you're just not good at introducing others to Christ or telling other people about the gospel, if that's the way you feel, and that's exactly how you should feel. That's the whole point. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago, if you were here, as we walked from beginning to end in Scripture and looked at Psalm 67, God desires to bless us so that his glory would be made known in all nations. God has designed this whole thing we call evangelism, designed this whole witnessing thing, so that in the end, our weakness is put on display, and he has to show his strength or else we fall flat on our faces. It's all designed so that you don't get the credit for leading people to Christ. It's all designed so that his glory is made known. And if you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with people, you know that it's in those times where the Holy Spirit is clearly showing that it's not you, it's him. Let's admit it. For us to go out this week into our homes and into the places where we work and to tell people about what we would even say is a foolish message and expect them to hear our words turn their lives upside down, reorient their, their entire lives, believe in the message we're sharing, and experience an entire new life through Jesus Christ just because of what we say. Are we really good enough to do this? Are you really that smart? Are you that intellectual? That charismatic? No. That's the whole point, though. The Holy Spirit is there to fill us with power to do what we are not able to do on our own. Go with me back to the beginning of Acts. Look over in Acts chapter 2. I want you to see this. A beautiful illustration of exactly what we're talking about right here. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down on the people of God at what we call Pentecost. They all begin to speak in different languages. It's an amazing scene. But I want you to look with me at verse 14. I want you to look at what happens. Verse 14, after the Holy Spirit's come down, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And basically, Peter begins to preach the first Christian sermon. Boldly, standing up in front of the whole crowd. Now, think about this guy, Peter. When was the last time we saw Peter in the book of Luke? What was he doing? He was denying Christ. The guy was ashamed to even admit that he knew Jesus. Certainly not willing to tell people about Jesus. So how did Peter go from the place where he was afraid to even talk about Jesus to the point where he is standing up in front of a whole crowd of people boldly preaching the gospel? What's the difference? Well, In between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and sent who down to Peter? The Holy Spirit. And it made all the difference in the world. And I think that's great encouragement for you and me this morning. 
A lot of us find ourselves in Peter's situation. We're timid. We're scared of this idea that we need to be sharing the gospel. And we shirk back at that responsibility. How do we go from that point to the point where you're boldly and clearly sharing the gospel? The difference is not your intellect. The difference is not your strength or the faith you can muster up. The difference is the Holy Spirit in your life. Ordinary people are doing extraordinary things all throughout the book of Acts because the Holy Spirit is on them. I laugh whenever I, whenever I think about this. I remember in college, I was, I was rooming with two guys at one point, all three of us living in this same room, and neither of them were believers. I had shared the gospel with them many times, but they just, for whatever reason, had never, never accepted the gospel. Their hearts were hard toward the gospel. I remember one night, I went to bed before they did, and they were just sitting up watching TV. They told me the next morning, in the middle, middle of the night, I apparently sat up in my bed. They were like, Dave, you sat up in your bed, and you just started telling us all about how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and how we can have our lives changed because of that. Sleep evangelism, all right? You ought to try it sometime. <laughs> how cool would that be to wake up in the middle of the night and see, see your friends at your bedside giving their life to Christ? I mean, that would be pretty amazing. I'm just willing to believe that if we'd give ourselves to telling people about Christ, we'd see the power of the Holy Spirit work in ways that we never could have imagined. I think that's what we see throughout the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church. One of my favorite guys in the history of the church is a guy named D.L. Moody. He started doing inner city work in Chicago and started preaching. God was pouring down his spirit on D.L. Moody. People were coming to Christ left and right. He began to preach in different cities in America than in England. Revival and awakening just breaking out wherever he preached. I remember reading in his biography about one particular town. They were discussing who to have come and speak at their revival meetings. And everybody was talking about D.L. Moody. We need to get D.L. Moody. One guy stood up in the front and said, I don't understand why we need to get D.L. Moody. It's not like he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Everything got real quiet. Older, wiser gentleman stood up in the back and he said, Son, you're exactly right. D.L. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit does have a monopoly on D.L. Moody, and that's why we need to get him here. Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on your life? Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on the church at Brook Hills? What happens when we come to the end of our strength and we say, Show your power? Show the power that only you can give. I mean, imagine, Acts chapter 1 verse 15 tells us there were only about 120 people that actually stayed around in Jerusalem to do this thing. Only 120 of them. That's pretty amazing. Even what secular scholars would say was the greatest religious teacher in the history of the world. At the end of his life, he leaves the earth and there's only 120 people to show for it. Is that a failure? That's a tiny church. It's not thousands of people. It's a tiny church, but it's the genius of Jesus' strategy that he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. And the rest of the book of Acts tells us that these 120 people, especially these 11 guys, turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ because of their own strength. No, they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They had the Holy Spirit of God, though, and it made all the difference. He fills us with his power. Second, I want you to see that he provides us. He gives us a purpose. The Holy Spirit gives us a purpose in our lives. Now, when you think about the Holy Spirit in your life, I want you to ask the question, why has God given you the Holy Spirit? And as we look in Scripture, there's all kinds of different answers for that. Well, the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit guides our our steps, guides our paths. That's his purpose. Well, he gives us gifts. We have different spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives those gifts. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. We sang about that a little while ago. He comforts us when we're going through difficult times. And the Holy Spirit does all of those things. 
But what I want to propose to you this morning is those purposes are secondary compared to one other purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to show it to you in Scripture. We're going to take a tour through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I want to show you what I believe is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. So, let's do some Bible drill. Turn with me back to the very beginning of the Bible, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Fourth book in the Bible, Numbers chapter 11, and I want you to look at verse 24 and 25. Now, I, want, I would encourage you, as you're, if we're going through these verses, underline them. Put a note by them. See what the Holy Spirit's doing here. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. I wonder sometimes if our, if our belief about the Holy Spirit is based more on our experience than it is in Scripture. We need to make sure we have a biblical foundation for what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Look at verse 24 and 25. It says, Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Now listen to this. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took, the, took of the spirit that was on Moses and put the spirit on the 70 elders. And when the spirit of God rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. So when the spirit came on them, what did they do? They prophesied. They began speaking about God's word. Let's see if that happens a few other times. Look with me over at Numbers chapter 24. Turn me over a few chapters. Numbers chapter 24. We're looking at the role of the Holy Spirit. And as we already said, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, then he would leave. Come upon people, then he would leave. So let's look at Numbers chapter 24. Look with me at verse 2. Numbers 24, 2 says, Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he uttered his oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. So when the Spirit of God came on him, what did he do? He began to speak, right? He uttered this oracle. I think this continues. Look over at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Turn me over a few books. It's right after 1 Samuel. You'll come to 2 Samuel chapter 23. I want you to look with me at verse 2. Now we're looking at the purpose of the Spirit of God. Don't forget, as the Spirit comes upon people, what are they doing? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Verse 2, the Bible says, underline it, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me. So we see that when the Spirit came on him, the word of God was on his tongue. He began to speak the word of God. Let me show you one more time in the Old Testament, then we'll move on to the New. Turn me over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel, chapter 11. We could go through many, many, many different places in Ezekiel, but this is just one example of a phrase we see repeated over and over and over again in the book of Ezekiel, as well as the other prophets for that matter. But look at Ezekiel chapter 11. Look with me at verse 5. We're looking at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Look what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me to do what? He told me to say, this is what the Lord says. This is what you were saying, O house of Israel, but I know what is going through your mind. So when the Spirit came on him, he began to speak. Now, this is something we've seen, obviously, throughout the Old Testament. Now let's think about Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit according to Scripture? Look at Luke chapter 1. And go ahead and 
give you a preview of what we're about to see. What I want us to do is I want us to do a run-through. There are eight times that Luke uses the, the, the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about people being filled with the Holy Spirit eight times. And I want you to see if this, there's a commonality between all eight of those times that maybe squares with the Old Testament. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. What does it say? It says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Circle that in your Bibles. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first time we see it. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Who's this talking about? John the Baptist. Now, what was John the Baptist's whole purpose? Proclaim the coming of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would begin to speak about the coming of the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse 41. Same chapter, look over in verse 41. Circle this time you see filled with the Holy Spirit in your Bible. In verse 41 it says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. Circle that, and then look at what happens next. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. When Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, what did she do? She spoke. You catching on here? One more time in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 67. Verse 67, let's look at Zechariah. It says in verse 67, his father Zechariah was, here it is again, filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. So when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He spoke. It's like a broken record or what? Over and over again in Scripture. Spirit's filling people and they're starting to talk. They're starting to talk about the word of the Lord. They're prophesying, they're exclaiming, they're speaking. Well, let's come to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. Come back over with me to this Luke's second book. Look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 4. When the Holy Spirit comes down on the New Testament church for the first time at Pentecost. What happens there? Same thing. Look at verse 4, chapter 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. Circle it. And they began to... Speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Speaking in all kinds of different languages. Spirit comes upon them, they begin to speak. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 8. What happens here? This is Peter. Coming before the Sanhedrin with John, and it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. Mark it down in your Bibles. What did he do? He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, he begins to preach about salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter later says. There's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. He begins to preach when the Spirit comes upon him. One more time in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Listen to this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? They spoke the Word of God boldly. Two more times. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Told you we're going to do a little Bible drill. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 20. Look at what happens here. We've got to see the consistency. Scripture's repeating this over and over again. Verse 17 in Acts chapter 9. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and may be, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happened? 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Spirit comes on Saul, at once he began to preach. One more time, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, again with Saul or Paul. I want you to look with me in verse 9. Acts chapter 13, verse 9, as Saul, Paul has been sent off on his first missionary journey, it says, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. So eight times, Luke says, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all eight times, the automatic result is they began to speak about God. They began to speak about the gospel. They began to speak the word of God. Now that's pretty consistent. Old Testament, New Testament alike. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose in our lives is to enable us to be proclaimers of God's word. To be proclaimers of grace and mercy of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. That is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now I want you to see, I want you to turn me back to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see my favorite part of this whole idea that the Holy Spirit is in us to proclaim the gospel. Don't miss this. You've got to look at this. I know, I know you've been turning a lot. I want you to turn, come back with me to Acts chapter 2. Don't miss the purpose of the Holy Spirit here. This is an incredible passage. Look in verse 16 as Peter begins to preach. In verse 16, the Bible says, Peter told them, No, this is what spoke, was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, here's the first Christian sermon, and Peter quotes from the Old Testament. Anybody know where he quotes from? Where is he quoting from here? Shout it out. Where is he quoting from? Joel. Joel, what chapter? Joel chapter 2. Now, are these just Bible scholars in the audience? Well, maybe so, but you probably got a little note in your Bible that takes you to the bottom. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. There you go. We can all be Bible scholars, okay? Now, here's what I want us to do. I know you've been turning a lot, but you can't, you, you got to see this. You can't miss this. What I want us to do is I want us to compare what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 with what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. Go ahead and turn back with me there because there is a difference. Joel chapter 2, little book in the Old Testament. If you need to use your, uh, your concordance or, or table of contents, feel free to. Right after Hosea, I want you to turn me to Joel chapter 2. Because in Joel, we're going to see that there's a difference between what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. So let's compare them. Let's put them side by side and see the difference. Look in, uh, look in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Hold your place over here in Acts chapter 2. We're going to have to look both of them at the same time. But you can't miss. you got, you got to see this. Look at this. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now compare that with Acts chapter 2, verse 17. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. He switches it around a little bit here. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Pretty much the same. Good job, Peter. Now let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse 29. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Then he puts a period on it there. Come back to Acts chapter 2, verse 18. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Wait a second, no period here. Peter says, and they will prophesy. Now do you see that anywhere in Joel chapter 2? No, it kind of goes on. That's not in Joel chapter 2. Great job, Peter. You blew it. First Christian sermon, and you misquoted the Old Testament. I mean, for years, we're going to look back and see that Peter messed up the first Christian sermon. Did he misquote the Old Testament, or did he do this intentionally? Why would Peter, think about it, why would Peter add the words, and they will prophesy in Acts chapter 2 when they weren't in Joel chapter 2? Well, let's think about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, were a few people prophets or a lot of people prophets? Just a few people, right? Guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Ezekiel. These were prophets who had the responsibility to speak for God. We get to the New Testament, though. Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. Remember, the very beginning of this thing said, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all who place their faith in Christ. And Peter says, and they will prophesy. That's a much different picture than the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we've got a lot of people who are prophesying. All people who have placed their faith in Christ are prophesying. Do you realize what this means? For every single one of us in this room who has placed our faith in Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, do you know what this makes you? You are a prophet. That's pretty cool. We're prophets. Now what does that mean? Does that mean we go out with big orange neon crosses on the streets of Birmingham and yell condemnation and and preach about the coming judgment of the Lord? Is that what we do as prophets? No. The prophet had one simple job. Take the word of God in our hearts and speak it to his people. That's what a prophet did. And what I want to say to you this morning is that every single one of you in this room who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have the God-given responsibility of being a prophet. That which was reserved for a few people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, has now been put on you. And you have the ability, the responsibility, to go out and to tell people the word of God, to simply introduce others to the gospel that has transformed your life. Isn't that incredible? Now that... That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We've seen it throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit comes on people, and they go out and they speak. They give witness. They testify to what they've seen and heard. That's why we see this word witness used 29 times in the book of Acts, over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit is coming upon people, filling them so that they can tell people about the gospel. That's how the gospel would go forth. Now, in light of that, I want us to think about a few misconceptions I think we sometimes get in the church about this whole witnessing thing. You know, sometimes people say, well, Dave, I, I really don't have what it takes to witness effectively. Now, I know that some of us in this room are more outgoing than others. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. We have different gifts, different personalities. What I want you to see from Scripture this morning is that the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And He is in you. 
He is in each one of you, not just the person beside you, in front of you, or behind you, but he is in you to enable you to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel. So do not, please, I urge you, do not say, I do not have what it takes to share the gospel effectively. You do. When you say that, you are doubting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is in you for this purpose. Other people say, well, well, Dave, I witness with my life. I witness by being a good person. Now, there's a grain of truth to that. Obviously, our lives need to be able to back up our words. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, no offense whatsoever intended to St. Francis, but it's just not biblical. If we leave the church of Brook Hills this morning, go out into our homes and our workplaces this week, we put a smile on our face and we live nice, moral lives. Will the result be people bowing their heads, giving their hearts to a saving relationship with Christ, beginning to follow him through baptism and get involved in the church simply because we have been nice? No. It has to be verbal at some point, doesn't it? You know something interesting? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses. In the original language of the New Testament, I'm going to impress you a little bit with a little Greek here, okay? You ready? Hold on to your seats. This word witness in the New Testament, it's martyreo. The only reason I share that with you is because that's the word from which we get the word martyr today. It's pretty amazing, huh? Jesus says these words to 11 guys in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Ten out of 11 of them die a martyr's death. I want to ask you a question. Did they die because they had lived good moral lives? No, these men lost their lives because they stood up and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two teenage girls died recently in Indonesia. Not because they went out and put a smile on their faces. It's because they went out and told people that Jesus is good and he is gracious. And they lost their lives because of it. People I read just last night in Nigeria have lost their lives not because they went out with smiles on their faces and lived good moral lives. They lost their lives because they had staked their life in Jesus Christ and they proclaimed that to those around them. May we not, hundreds of miles away, look at them and say, well, that's good for you, but we're going to witness with our lives. Other people say, well, and we have the tendency to think, well, I, Dave, I witness when the Holy Spirit leads me. And again, there's a grain of truth to that. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. I would definitely say that. But these words, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, written in red in some of your Bibles, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Do you know what this means? You can now consider yourselves led by the Holy Spirit of God. And this frees you up. You don't have to wait for some tingly feeling to go down your spine and think, ah, I guess I need to share the gospel now. That's not the way Scripture works. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you walk out of these doors, you are led by the Holy Spirit of God to tell people about how great Jesus is. We don't have to wait for some special emotion or some tingly thing to come over us. This is the purpose that the Holy Spirit is in us for. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, if we witness when the Holy Spirit leads us, then we would be active in sharing the gospel. He's already led us to do it. Finally, maybe one of my favorites is, well, Dave, the Holy Spirit would never lead me to do something that I am uncomfortable doing. We don't have the opportunity, but I wonder what Stephen would say if we asked him how comfortable it was when he shared the gospel 
wonder what Paul would say if we said, how comfortable was it when you shared the gospel? These guys realized that the gospel was more important than their comfortability. And the gospel was more important than their reputation. And the gospel was more important than anything in their lives. That's why Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can go everywhere and testify to the gospel of grace. It's that important. That's the purpose for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, not to put a guilt trip on you or anything along those lines, but just to say, are you fulfilling the purpose of the Spirit in you? Because I believe with all my, power, all my heart that if we walk out of here and we don't give ourselves to this purpose, we'll mess, miss out completely on his power. He fills us with power and he gives us a purpose. Finally, he outlines our plans. He outlines the plans for our life and for the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see Jesus say to these guys, you're going to take this gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And some of you know that's an outline for the entire book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 through 7, you can write it down. The gospel goes to Jerusalem. And then with Stephen's death at the end of Acts chapter 7, get to Acts chapter 8, the gospel begins to spread to Judea and Samaria. Get to the end of chapter 9. You see the gospel has gone throughout Judea and Samaria, and now it's in the hands of this guy named, named Paul and some of his companions. And we see the church begin to take hold in Acts chapter 10 of the nations, and Antioch becomes a sending base for sending the gospel to the ends of the earth from Acts chapter 10 all the way to Acts chapter 28. Acts 1 through 7, Jerusalem. Acts 8 and 9, Judea and Samaria. Acts 10 through 28, to the ends of the earth. That was the plan of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take this gospel, the whole gospel, to the whole world, to the whole church. That was the plan. And I've got this feeling that the plan has not changed from that day until now. The plan is still the same. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit, who is in this room and who is dwelling in our lives, wants to take the whole gospel through the whole church, to the whole world. When you look at this picture and you see 120 people filled with the Spirit of God, turning the world upside down, we've got to ask the question in this room, what would happen? What would happen if we took serious the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life and we gave ourselves to this plan? But somewhere along the way, we have a tendency to lose sight of the purpose. I, I remember... A little over a year ago, I had taken a group of students from the seminary to India. India is an incredibly unreached nation. Many people, many people that have never heard the name of Jesus, heard the gospel. There's 1.4 billion people in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. 1.4 billion of them. And we have, Baptists have about 200 missionaries there for 1.4 billion people. It's a great need. And we were in this city a city of 7 million people, most of whom had little or no knowledge of the gospel, going out to people in the streets and sharing the gospel, and they say, who is Jesus? I'm not familiar with this. Never heard his name. We took him one day to the highest point in this city. It was the Hindu temple. And at this temple, I mean, people just bowing down and worshiping all these gods that they had set up, giving their money to the gods. And we walked around some, and we came to this point where you could look out over the whole city, we looked out over that city, and literally, if you can just imagine with me, looking out over a city of 7 million people, and knowing that most of the people who are in your eyesight have little or no knowledge of the gospel. And as I looked out over that city, God just kept bringing two words to my mind and to my heart. I looked out over that city, and God, God said, 
Dave, wake up. Wake up. Dave, stop trying to build your own kingdom. Stop, stop getting so embroiled with the little world that is around you. Get in on the plan of my spirit. I want the world for Christ. Brook Hills, wake up. It's not about our differences. It's not about the different opinions or ideas we have on this or that. It's not about our different gifts or personalities or what we bring to the table. It's about winning Birmingham for Christ and the nations for Christ with the spirit of power that has been entrusted to us. That is why he is in us. And Satan, I believe, will do everything he can to get us sidetracked from that purpose. He will bring division. He will bring us focused on all kinds of different things in the church as long as he can get our, our focus off the mission. And I want to say to you this morning, the Spirit's plan is to take Birmingham for Christ, and I want to challenge you as a church to get in on it. And the Spirit's plan is to take the nations for Christ, and I want to challenge you to get on it. Say, God, use us at this church. Use us as individuals. We want to change the world for Jesus Christ. And it's that kind of heart, that kind of surrender to the Spirit, that kind of surrender that says, Holy Spirit, have a monopoly on us, that I believe, I believe we can see the same things happen that we saw in the book of Acts happen in our lives today. Do you want that? Do you long for that? Holy Spirit fills us with power and he gives us purpose and he outlines the plans. As I was praying this week through this passage of scripture and thinking about this morning, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity this morning to put feet to this passage, to, to apply it in your lives. And so this morning I want us to do something a little different. I, I want to challenge you this morning to take God at his word in your life. I know that across this room, there are very few of you who would say, I am eager. I feel great. I know that I can do this. I'll go out and share the gospel. Many of us feel very uncomfortable when it comes to this thing. And just like we've seen in Scripture, that's, that's the point. Because that's when God will show his strength the most. So I want to challenge you this week to take God at his word. And up here at the front, there's some baskets up here all along the front. And in the baskets, there's some cards the card on the very front of it simply says, you are not alone. And it has this verse from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And on the back of this card, some statements. It says, Lord, thank you that your power works in me through the Holy Spirit. Show your power through me as I witness to. And it has a blank there for someone's name or a group of people in your life. Today and in the coming days. I know that I am not alone. I know that it is in your strength and your ability that I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this friend. Thank you for using me for your kingdom. Amen. And what I want to do this morning is I want to challenge you to take God at his word. And just a second, after we pray, and we begin to sing, I want to invite you all across this room, if you're willing to say in your life this morning, I believe that I'm not alone. I believe that it's not in my power. I'm going to come and I'm going to take one of these cards. And I'm going to put somebody's name on it or somebody, some group of people in my life, maybe coworkers, whatever it is, maybe people in your family, whatever it is. And say this week, 
And in the weeks to come, I'm going to be intentional about sharing the gospel, sharing God's word with these people. You know, something I've learned in evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's not automatic. Yes, it's the overflow of our relationship with Christ, but it doesn't happen automatically. We need to be intentional about it. So I wanted to give you a way to say, I want to put some feet to this. And so I'm going to invite you, after we stand to sing together, if you're willing to say, I'm going to be intentional about sharing the gospel with some people in my life this week and in the next couple of weeks. And I want to invite you to come down, take one of these cards. You can take it and just go right back to your seat, or you can take it and spend some time down here at the front in prayer, maybe praying for those people or that person that's on your heart. Or maybe just praying, God, I know I'm completely inadequate for this task. Show your power in me. And then make your way back to your seat. And I know that in a room this size, I've been talking all morning to believers, to Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them. And I know that in a room this size, there are some of you who don't have the Holy Spirit in you because you've never placed your faith in Christ and asked Him to forgive you of your sins. And I'm going to ask some pastors who will be available here at the front, some of the leaders from the church here who will be available as others are coming and getting cards. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus for the first time, if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, then I want to invite you just to come to one of them and say, I'm ready to believe in Jesus. Gender, sexuality, artificial intelligence, race, justice, genomics, the metaverse. It's all so very complicated, fragmented even. And everyone has an opinion about everything. But what does the Bible say about all of these issues? About you, about me, about the 7 billion people that fill every street, town, campus, village, apartment, and neighborhood on earth. Join us for Secret Church, a unique one-night event streamed online to more than 50,000 participants around the world. Encouraged by our persecuted brothers and sisters' example, we meet for close to six hours for intense study of God's Word and passionate prayer for the persecuted, taught and led by David Platt. Join us on Friday, April 29, 2022 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Participating in the Secret Church livestream is easy. You can stream from your church, home, office, or anywhere you have an internet connection. You can find out more or register for Secret Church at Radical.net. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.